0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, our great God, ruler of creation throughout all eternity, maker of heaven and earth, our Lord and our Savior, we come before you expressing our gratitude for your Son as we have just sung, that the very thought of him does fill us with life, fills us with joy, fills us with abundant joy. As we consider him tonight, consider who he is, consider how he is the shepherd of our souls and the shepherd of the flock that is drawn in from throughout all the world. Let us consider him during this time. Let us think of nothing else. Let us not have our concerns be on worldly things. Let us not be thinking about things that are out there, but things that are in here, that are in your word, of who your son is and what he has done for us and how he leads us. Now he gives us life, abundant life. Lord, let us consider each other. Let us lift each other up to good works and encourage each other. Let us leave here on this night eager to go out into the world and to, to spread your joy and to spread your light throughout the, to those who, who do not know you, those who have a gloomy shadow cast amongst them, those who Trudge about through life without joy or with empty joy, joy that is not full, joy that is fleeting. Lord, Lord let, us, let us live lives that are manifestations of the grace that you have bestowed upon us. We pray for a double portion of that grace right now, Lord. I pray for those who are, who are downtrodden, who are sick and hurting, people who need your grace right now people that know of your saving grace, but might be going through bouts of spiritual depression. And especially for those who know nothing of your saving grace, Lord. Open their eyes, touch their hearts, send your spirit to quicken them. And all these things we pray in your son's name. Amen. I'm always amazed by God's providence. Uh, Providence is best read backwards, of course. Someone's Said specifically, but whenever we were first uh, arranging the, the sermons that we were going to go through, Prashant, Dirk, and I, and we chose the seven I am statements. We had them laid out at a particular time, and uh, originally this one was supposed to be last week, but because of the crusade, it got pushed back to this week. And uh, I don't know what exactly Pastor Thomas's timeline was for starting um, his series on eldership or being a pastor or being a shepherd. Uh, but it started today, and tonight we're going to consider Jesus as our Good Shepherd. So uh, in God's providence, these things are going to match up very nicely with the sermon that you heard today, uh, today primarily being more about under-shepherds, of course, is what pastors are, being under the Good Shepherd. Uh, so today we're not, tonight we're not really going to cover a whole lot about being under-shepherds. We're going to really look at the Good Shepherd and what it means for Jesus to be our Good Shepherd And so once again, we're continuing our evening sermon series through the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. And so far we've considered I am the bread of life from John chapter six, I am the light of the world from John chapter eight, and I am the door from John chapter 10. Like I said tonight, we're going to continue through John 10 with the fourth I am that really closely mirrors I am the door, this being I am the good shepherd. And as Prashant rightly pointed out last week these two are very closely connected. Uh, he made a point to try and not step into my sermon's territory and I really appreciate that Prashant, thank you. Um, but I guess I'm quite, not quite as nice as Prashant is because he made some great points last week that I'm going to freely borrow tonight. Uh, we were talking about borrowing other people's sermons about an hour ago and uh, I'm going to borrow a few of Prashant's points again tonight But uh, you saints are going to get the benefit of hearing those things again, so to the glory of God, right? So, now before we get to the text for the night, I told you this in my last sermon. I'm going to repeat myself during each of my sermons during this, and I'm going to remind you of Jesus' discourse with those Jewish leaders back in John 8, where he makes another I am statement, not officially sanctioned as one of the seven I ams, but he makes another I am statement there. You'll remember in that exchange in John 8 and verse 58, he says, or John 58 says this, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they picked up stones to throw at him, to try to kill him. Why did they do this? Because with those simple words, Jesus is claiming to be God, right? Okay, everything is framed in that context. And I've got a bonus for you tonight also, Because, as providence would have it, I was reading through the ending of the book of Revelation earlier this week for just a completely separate reason, not in my sermon prep for this at all, and then right there, Jesus makes another I am statement to the same author that he makes all these other I am statements to, right? Jesus says, in fact, he says it three times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Right, that's not one that usually gets lumped in with the other seven I am statements, but that's clearly an I am statement also, right? I am the alpha and the omega. So he is the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher, the totality, the sum and the substance of the scriptures. He's the first and the last. In other words, again, Jesus says he is God. Okay. So once again, why, why am I reminding you of all this? Why am I saying this? Because I want you to remember that Jesus' I am statements have to be viewed in the light of the fact that he is fully God. All of his I am statements, they all have some sort of mediatorial aspects to them. But in essence, they're really all kind of communicating the same thing. They're really all saying the same thing, just with different emphases placed on different parts. He's saying the same thing in all of them. He's saying that you cannot get to God any way than going through me. You cannot get to God in any way other than going through me. You can try all that you might, but I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, and the vine. We cannot come into God's presence without Jesus bringing us there. We have to have the God-man. And that's why we have to remember that Jesus... Isn't just some man with some good teaching, but he is very God of very God, like the Bible confirms, like all the great creeds and confessions confirm, like we confirm and affirm. Very God of very God. Because without that, we are left hopeless, completely hopeless. But we're not hopeless. We're not because he came, because he lived a life that we couldn't live. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay, and he resurrected so that we can have life. And like he says in tonight's passage, that we could have life abundantly. And he is here to lead us all the way in this life. Which brings us to our text for tonight. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Let's read it together. Truly, truly, I say to you, For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. The The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy.'" So once again, you see how Jesus conveys a reality about the kingdom that is composed in a metaphor that pretty much anyone in any time period can understand, because I reminded you, everyone knows what bread is, everyone knows what light is, everyone knows what a door is, and even if some culture doesn't have sheep specifically, everyone knows the concept of someone whose job it is just to watch over livestock. So, Jesus has this wonderful way of communicating, so anyone who has ears to hear can hear. They can understand. And this is even more true for those to whom Jesus is speaking directly to hear because sheep and shepherds were such an important part of the ancient Near East. Sheep were a primary source of food, both for their meat and their milk. And they were a primary source of clothing for both their wool and their sheep skin. So sheep were very, very valuable to these people. It was important that the person who was watching over the sheep were, was a trustworthy, honest, brave, physically able, alert person who loved both the sheep and whoever owned the sheep. So this metaphor that Jesus puts forth here is going to immediately resonate with everyone that Jesus is speaking to. Shepherds and shepherding were very important things in this culture, and not just so for immediate Jesus' immediate time period either, because the word shepherd or shepherding, or the idea of shepherding, is mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. It's a very important theme. It pretty much actually runs the entire course of Scripture, really, because Genesis describes Abel as being the caretaker of a flock. All of the patriarchs of Genesis were shepherds, all the great patriarchs there, Near the end of Jacob's life, he blesses Joseph. In his blessing, he first states that God has been his shepherd all his life long. Moses was a shepherd in Midian before he gets called to come lead the people of Israel. Uh, Most memorably, David is commended for his bravery as a shepherd. And the idea of shepherding is mentioned throughout the historical books of Kings and Chronicles, Obviously, all of the poetry of the Psalms place a very special emphasis on God being a shepherd and very in multiple psalms, very large number of them. Ecclesiastes says that all the words of the wise actually come from only one shepherd. Shepherding is a prominent theme in of the prophetic books, especially in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Michael, Micah, and Zechariah. And then Matthew and John's Gospels, do they place a special emphasis on the idea too. There's a lot of shepherding in Matthew and John's Gospels. If you remember, Matthew's Gospel is written primarily to the Jews, so he mentions shepherding quite a bit. And then Hebrews and 1 Peter then reiterate the idea that Jesus is the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. <clears throat> and then all the way at the end, in a striking visual, John, again, in his vision of the apocalypse says that He says this when describing the scene of worship when a great multitude from every nation is standing before the throne of the Lamb. This is the way John describes the scene in Revelation 7, verses 15 through 17. they got this great multitude that is standing before the Lamb, and this is what John says that he sees. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's a good picture, right? So shepherds and shepherding are obviously now, I hope you agree, it's an important theme and a motif throughout all of Scripture. The people that Jesus is speaking to here would be very familiar with the point that Jesus is trying to make because they all knew how important shepherds were. In the, in the modern Western world, in our time, in our place, shepherds, at least of livestock, are pretty much obsolete. But not so then. It's not so in a large portion of the world either, but in our Western modern context, their shepherds of livestock are really kind of obsolete. But that's, that's not the case back then when Jesus is talking, because shepherds were a very important part of society. Because without them, the people would be without a main source of food and clothing. So it's a very important job. It's very important, but Scripture doesn't always describe a shepherd as being good, because there's a lot of bad shepherds too. Jeremiah pronounces a stiff judgment on the leaders of Judah who have led the people into idolatry and away from the living God. He says this in Jeremiah 10. Some harsh words for them he says here. He says, For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. So we we see here a characteristic of a bad shepherd. A bad shepherd is stupid. And what makes the bad shepherd stupid is that he never inquires of the Lord. He never asks for the Lord's direction. And then one book over, two books over, and a more scathing rebuke, and we'll turn there and read it, Ezekiel says something against the shepherds of Israel. So I'm going to go to Ezekiel 34 now. Welcome to turn there with me. I'll read it if you don't don't want to, but in Ezekiel 34, this is what he says in his scathing rebuke of the shepherds of Israel in verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus said the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep, you eat the fat You clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost ones you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Ouch. So, what are the characteristics of these bad shepherds? One is that they only care for themselves, they don't care for the sheep. They like to eat the sheep and they like to use them for clothes, but they don't strengthen the weak. They don't heal the sick. They don't tend to the injured. They don't go searching for the sheep that have become lost. They don't feed the sheep, and they don't deal with them appropriately. They deal with them harsh. They are harsh with the sheep. So obviously, Ezekiel is not talking about literal sheep here. He's not talking about literal shepherds here. He's talking about how the leaders of Israel do not care for the people of Israel. They only care about themselves and they only care about using the people for their own personal gain. So I'm going to stop here. I'm I'm going to resist the temptation to make some snide remark about modern political and social leaders, and I'll just leave it at that. So these are bad shepherds. So, what about a good shepherd? Jacob's a good shepherd at least when it came to sheep. If you look at him tending to Laban's sheep, Jacob was a very good shepherd when it came to sheep, as was David. David was also a good shepherd of the people of Israel, described as the best of kings, the one from whom the ultimate king of Israel would arise. So David knew about good shepherding, and that's because David knew the best shepherd. He knew the ultimate shepherd. David intimately knew the Lord. You know, it calls him... The man after God's own heart. He knows Yahweh. He knows Yahweh as his shepherd. And this is what leads David to pen Psalm 23. You know we had to go there before the sermon was <clears> over. <throat> so, Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here we have a stark contrast to those terrible shepherds that Ezekiel goes off and rebukes. So we looked at the characteristics briefly of the bad shepherd. So what are the characteristics of the good shepherd? Yahweh, what what does this shepherd look like? What does he do for his people? What are his characteristics? Number one, the good shepherd provides for the physical needs of the sheep. They will not want for anything that they actually need. They have an abundant food source. They have an abundant water source. They have a safe and lush place to sleep. The bad shepherds, they didn't provide for the sheep, but the good shepherd does. And number two, the good shepherd cares for the souls of the sheep. He lifts them up when they are downtrodden. He doesn't lead them into sin, but he leads them into paths of righteousness. This is for their sake. But also it's for the sake of the shepherd's good name, which is often a point missed by this psalm, that often missed in this psalm. The main point here is that the shepherd does this for his own glory. For his own name's sake, is what it says in verse three. For his name's sake. And since he is the only one that is worthy of glory, this is not like the bad shepherds who are full of evil and unworthy of glory because his name is to be highly exalted. And the good news for us is that one of the ways that God exalts his own name is by displaying loving kindness to his sheep. That's some good news for us. But it's all for his glory. Number three, the good shepherd protects the sheep from danger. So you see here the shepherd, it says... What does it say? Verse 4, "...your rod and your staff, they comfort me." So shepherds would always carry these two things with them. Sometimes they would also carry a sling, but the shepherds then would carry two things, rod and a staff. The rod was a thick stick that usually had a large knob on one end, and sometimes they would attach like a nail or a piece of sharp metal to this rod. And this, the rod was used to attack those who were coming to hurt the sheep, whether it was a robber or a thief or a bear or a wolf or whatever. The staff itself was a smaller instrument and it was used for two things. The, ste- the shepherd would use it to poke around and if they were leading the sheep into you know, places with crevices or holes or things like that, he'd poke around in them to check for snakes and scorpions. So it was a preventive thing, but he'd also use it to guide the sheep where he wanted them to go. Right? He would guide them in two directions. Right? He would guide them away from things that are bad for them or he's going to guide them toward things that are good for them. I hope you see this when the Lord is guiding you too. I hope you pray for this when he guides your steps. to guide you away from things that are bad for you and toward things that are good for you. This is why the rod and the staff comforts the sheep. So when the sheep see the rod and the staff, they know that these are for their protection and their benefit and not for their restriction and their harm. Number four, the good shepherd not only protects the sheep from enemies, he gives them a feast while the enemies look on. The enemies look on with envy and rage. And during the feast, the sheep are well aware of how blessed they are. So because of this, their souls are bursting with joy, not specifically because of the feast. That's nice. Because the presence of the shepherd is there while they're feasting. That's why they're bursting with joy. And number five, lastly, this one's a bit surprising actually. The shepherd allows the sheep to live in his house with him. So I don't care how much you love a group of livestock. You don't love them enough to let them live in your house. Isn't that right, Prices? Huh? You don't love them enough to let them live in your house. But God does. Because of his goodness and his mercy, he allows us to dwell in his presence. If you truly understand the holiness of God and you truly understand how sinful you are, this is amazing. right? Because we're dirty, we are filthy sheep. In Isaiah's great servant song of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, he describes us And he includes himself in the description. This is what he says. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Sheep are stupid animals. It's part of their nature. They tend to wander, they get easily lost. We are the same way, just like sheep. So then, it's quite amazing Stunning even that God would allow us to dwell with him when we are so unfit to do so. Well, why? Why does he do this? It's because we have the good shepherd of John chapter 10. Because he's the one who can bring us into the presence of God. Because we've read both of these right now. I hope you can see that Jesus is again identifying himself as God and describing himself as the good shepherd. Because Jesus knows Psalm 23. He does. All the people that he's talking to know Psalm 23. So we're going to go back there and see what Jesus says about himself as the good shepherd. First of all, Jesus knows that he is fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. Moses was a shepherd of sheep and people. Jesus is the prophet that has come that is greater than Moses. David was a shepherd, both of sheep and people. Jesus is the king that has come that is greater than David. Jesus is that antithesis of those bad shepherds that we read about in Ezekiel. But there's also two other passages in which Jesus fulfills the shepherd prophecies of the Old Testament. God is speaking in Zechariah 13 when he says... Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That can be a tough passage to read, right? Against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. God is going to strike him. Substitutionary atonement. There's no clearer picture of Jesus and his suffering church in the Old Testament than this passage from Zechariah 13. And then another prophecy over in Micah chapter 5. <coughs> this passage is mainly a prophecy about the birthplace of the, of the Messiah. That's what typically gets quoted here in Micah 5:2, because it says he's going to come from Bethlehem, which obviously he does. But a few verses down... It says this about this man that is going to come from Bethlehem. It says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is another fulfillment of Psalm 23. And what a prophecy, right? What a prophecy prophecy. I'm going to read it again. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. What a shepherd. What a prophecy. So then back to John 10 and see what the good shepherd says about himself then. <laughs> First of all, he says who the imposters are. He says the imposters are anyone who try to enter the sheepfold in any other way than through him. So there's a a spirit of the age that tries to say that all roads lead to the same God or that there's multiple ways to get to heaven or things like this. Even people who claim to be Christians will say this. It's called pantheism. Pantheism. And I'm going to say that amongst all the false religions out there, pantheism might even be the most offensive to God. And that's a bold statement, but why do I say that? It's because the pantheist says that there are many ways many ways to God. The Christian has to affirm, because Jesus says so himself, that the only way is through Jesus. So specifically, how did Jesus make that way? Jesus had to make that way by offering himself up drinking the bitter cup of the wrath of the Father all the way down to the dregs of the very last drop. And so those pantheistic Christians, they don't fully understand what Jesus had to give up for the sheep then. Right? Because there's this Trinitarian union that has existed throughout all of eternity past. And this is broken during those dark moments on Calvary when Jesus assumes the wrath of God in our place. So there can be no other way. And if there can be no other way, it's incredibly offensive to God to claim that there is. Because in this, they're claiming that Jesus' sacrifice is not actually necessary. And Jesus is going to say it more directly a few IMs later when he says, no man comes to the Father but by me. And he says it here, here too because he says, no one enters into the sheepfold without the shepherd letting them in. It's the only way. So not only does he let them in, he's the one that compels them to come in the first place. Verse 3 says that the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So here we have that great reform doctrine of irresistible grace. Why is grace irresistible? Because only the sheep enter the sheepfold, and they enter the sheepfold by following the shepherd... And they follow the shepherd by hearing his voice. And here's the key. They hear his voice because he calls them by name. In other words, the law is written on their hearts. Right? That great promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah that shows us who all is going to be in the new covenant. It's those who have the law written on their hearts. Those who have heard the shepherd's voice because he has called them out by name. And when Jesus gets a hold of a man's heart, there is no resisting. There's nothing you can do when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, when he calls you out by name. That sheep becomes the property of the good shepherd. And from then on, he follows the shepherd wherever he goes because he loves the voice of the shepherd. You combine this fact with the fact, that Jesus calls the, she- the fact that Jesus calls the sheep by name, and then verse 15, which says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Notice, that, notice who Jesus' life is laid down for, is laid down for the sheep. Not those who try to enter any other way. It's only for the sheep. So here we have the great Reformation doctrine of limited atonement, or definite redemption, for a more positive spin on it. Jesus doesn't lay down his life for those who are not sheep. He simply states this here. The intruders do not get the privilege of that. Also, the call to come into the sheepfold isn't just some generic call to all men, because Jesus calls them in by name. Jesus knows his own, and his own know him. This is is more than just some, some mental grasp of knowing Jesus and knowing who he is and knowing that he might be a great man. No, to say that God knows a person means that God has placed a gracious, redemptive commitment to that individual. He truly knows them. Therefore, Jesus came to save only those who would be saved. And otherwise, Jesus is ro- robbed of his omnipotence. So dare we not do that, right? So, Those are the characteristics of the good shepherd. So what then... Are the characteristics of the sheep? Well, first of all, since they are sheep, I already mentioned this, they're kind of dumb. They tend to wander. But what draws them back? What draws them back? It's the voice of the shepherd. They know the voice of the shepherd. That's the most important characteristic of the sheep. Jesus says it multiple times here the sheep don't listen to a voice of a stranger. They know the shepherd, and they know him by his voice. So you see this is a point Prashant made last week. You see the importance of being saturated with the word of God. You know, every page, every page of this book speaks about Jesus, and it's spoken from Jesus. So that's the way we know Jesus' voice, by reading this. This is the way that the sheep know the voice of the good shepherd. They know immediately when thieves and robbers and bears and wolves and false prophets come in because they know that this voice that they're hearing is not the voice of the shepherd. They know the Word of God so well that they can spot something that does not agree with the clearly revealed things of Scripture. They can identify. The sheep might be stupid. They might be dumb. They might, be ten- they might tend to wander. But they know a counterfeit shepherd. They know a counterfeit shepherd because they know what the good shepherd sounds like. And they know that a counterfeit one sounds different than the good one. So this is, this is what the sheep know and, and how the sheep act. So what then do the sheep possess? due to the work of the good shepherd. They have life and they have it abundantly. The good shepherd gives life to the sheep. And not only just life. This is a quote from one of my study Bibles. It says, Jesus calls his followers not to a gloomy, lifeless, miserable existence that that squashes human potential, but to a rich, full, joyful life one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. So our joy, sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, our joy is not displayed enough. We sometimes seem to, to draw back from, from showing the rest of the world how good God is to us. How he has blessed us with a life that, that has meaning how we are not just some specks of stardust that are wandering about aimlessly until we die, and that none of this means anything at all. No. The life of a man that follows the voice of the Good Shepherd is abundant. So when we leave here, let's be sure to show the world the joy of our salvation. Let's be sure to show the world that our relationships actually have meaning, that none of it's by accident but they mean something. Let's be sure to show the world that we can truly enjoy our blessings. We can show them that we can even truly enjoy our material blessings. We can truly enjoy them because we value the gift giver more than we value the gifts. We show them that we love the good shepherd more than the lush pastures that he leads us to. So then that is what the sheep possess. Life, abundant life. So briefly, who are the sheep then? The sheep are any who hear and listen to the shepherd's voice. Jesus almost goes out of his way in verse 16 to explain that salvation is not just for the Jews. It's almost just an interjection into there. He's discoursing about something else completely. Because remember, he's speaking to Jews here, but he says that he has other sheep that are not of this fold that he must bring in. So in light of current events in the world, pay special attention to the end of verse 16 because it says, there will be one flock, one shepherd. So this is a foundational question that is really the divide between dispensationalists and those of us who hold to covenant theology. The question is, is the church the true Israel? Or are there two distinct peoples of God, Israel and then the church? That's the foundational question that separates these two things. Well, if you believe that the only way to the Father is through Jesus, the good shepherd, the one shepherd, then verse 16 really has to affirm that there's only one flock also. So the church is the true Israel. One flock, Jews and Gentiles together under the care of one shepherd. This obviously has to be developed much further, but that's going to require a completely separate sermon, so we'll leave that to another time. But as a point that is just too obvious right there that I have to point out, one shepherd, one flock. So all this that I've talked about, that we possess abundant life, that we have this, that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, why do we even care? Why do the sheep trust the voice of the shepherd? Why do we have life? Why do we have it abundantly? Why do every tribe and nation and tongue gather to the voice of the shepherd? Well what's, why? well, what's the big point here? Well, it's because I skipped over one of the things that the shepherd says that he does or that he will do. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is obviously an important point that Jesus is trying to convey here because he says this phrase five times in the span of eight verses. He lays down his life for the sheep. He was willing to offer himself. No one took it from him. It was laid down under his own authority. This was the plan from eternity past. This is part of the covenant of grace. The charge is given to him by the father. To the Son to save a people from their sins. This is so unfathomable, but that if it weren't true, it'd be unbelievable. Because the good shepherd is sinless. In 2 Samuel 24, one of the be- other best shepherds we have, David, David commits a great sin in 2 Samuel 24 by taking an unsanctioned census. It was based on pride. I won't go into details. But this unsanctioned census invokes the Lord's wrath. And this costs 70,000 people their lives. But David does have a prayer of repentance at the end of the chapter. And in his prayer of repentance, he says, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's house. But there's this great reversal of this in the Gospel of John. Because where David is is sinful, he even says so. I have sinned. The son of David is sinless. And the sheep of the son of David, what evil have they not done? We've broken the whole law, all of it, every one of us. What evil have we not done? But the son of David, the good shepherd, the greatest shepherd, he says to the father, let your hand be against me. Don't harm the sheep. So earlier in the sermon, I quoted a verse from Isaiah's Song of the Suffering Servant from Isaiah 53. Well, actually, if you know anything about Isaiah 53 or you know that verse particular only quoted half of a verse. I didn't finish it. Here's what I said. I said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's bad news. That is the bad news. Because we are all sinners. We're going our own way. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel presented in Isaiah. The rest of the verse. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, if that doesn't give you abundant joy and that doesn't give you abundant life, I don't know what will. If that verse does not stir your heart, you are a dead man. I promise you. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Even though we are like sheep, we turn everyone to his own way. Or what about from 1 Peter? It says, I'm talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So in closing, saints, go forth. Go forth this week in abundant life, living to righteousness, dying to sin, looking to the one who has given himself in the place of your iniquities. Go forth listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you for the life that you have given us. We are thankful that you have not left us to wander. You have not left us to go our own way, but you have called out to us by name with your voice. What a sweet voice that is. May you lead us, Lord. May you lead us unto paths of righteousness, to green pastures, laying down beside still waters, Preparing for us a feast in the presence of our enemies, we thank you for your blessings on us, Lord, most of all for the salvation that you have offered by laying down your life and letting us dwell in your house, all for your name's sake. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.